Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey everyone, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is just around the corner from launching into the world. You can pre-order a copy right now wherever you are in the world. Just head to the link in the show notes below in order to get your own copy. It's available in Kindle, hardcover, and it will soon be available in audio book, which I will be narrating. I'm very excited about that. Uh, But hope you guys can get a copy. Hope you support the show, myself and yourself as well, because that's what the, the book is really, really speaking to. Thank you all very much. All right, time to enjoy the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, my guest today teaches people how to cook their way to optimal health. He is the founder of The Doctor's Kitchen, which many of you may know if you are based in the UK or if you've listened to Dr. Rungan Chatterjee's show uh, or many, many others, for example, or even if you listen to his top-rated podcast, The Doctor's Kitchen. Who am I speaking about? I'm speaking about the incredible Dr. Rupi Adjula. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, the Doctor's Kitchen began with Dr. Rupi Adjula, an NHS medical doctor whose life was changed when he suffered a significant heart condition. Since learning more about nutritional medicine and doing a deep dive into the literature, he was able to reverse his condition using a food and lifestyle approach. In 2015, he started The Doctor's Kitchen as a way of teaching everyone how they can cook their way to better health and to showcase the beauty of food and medicinal effects of eating and living well. He's a London-based doctor specializing in general practice and emergency medicine, who is also on a mission to reverse the tidal wave of preventable lifestyle disease, one plate of delicious food at a time. He is a best-selling author of multiple, multiple books. He hosts the top-rated podcast, The Doctor's Kitchen, 
He's a BBC presenter and he regularly appears on a national te- national TV as well, along many, many others. He has a new book coming out next year, which is Dr. Rupi Cooks, Healthy, Easy Flavor. And if you guys love cooking or want to learn how to become better cooks and learn pretty much how to use good food to optimize your health, this is definitely the conversation for you. Or you can go and get a copy of any of Dr. Rupi's books. I am sure they will help you dramatically uh, transform and basically live the best life you possibly can. And to be honest with you, I love cooking. So if I can find ways to cook healthier food, then I will definitely do just that. Dr. Rupi is a, a great person to actually speak with. I found out that we have a lot in common, uh, more than I actually realized, which is uh, just makes for an even better conversation, I think, when you have that relatability factor with one of your guests. So I really do appreciate Dr. Rupi and the incredible work that he is doing in the world. And I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. So if you do get something from it, please share it around with all your friends and your family. Also, don't forget, my friends, that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, is just around the corner. Literally, I think it is launching in a few days' time on the 27th of September. So literally so, so close. I hope that you guys can get a a pre-order a copy uh, and that you can improve your own life, not just with food, but also with wisdom and and the advice and the stories from not just my life, but other people's lives as well among so many other amazing things. I'll make sure the links are available in the show notes below to make it easy for you guys to pre-order. But I hope that each and every one of you can get a copy and that you can show support to this show, to myself and to yourself as well. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to teach our way to better health as we journey into this story box today and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice and the stories of none other, the incredible Dr. Rupi. Thank you so much, Jay. It's uh, It's been lovely chatting before this pod as well and figuring out how much we have in common uh, in terms of, you know, where you were based in Australia, in New South Wales, uh, my connection to Australia where I used to live there and the fact that both of our partners have the same name. <laughs> how cool is that, man? Honestly, like it's just such a small world. Uh, I, I think it's honestly incredible how we, we have so much in common and yet we're a world away from each other. Um, totally. And- I feel a little bit more connected to you just just by saying all that and, and hearing just a little bit about each other. Uh, but man, I'm I'm so grateful for your time and and cannot wait to to dive further into your backstory in just a moment. But before we do that, my very first question for you is, what does success look like for you? What does success look like for me? You know, uh, I think my definition of success has changed as I've uh, got a little bit more mature, I think, in figuring out exactly what I want to achieve. Um, so I'm 37 now. Um, and if you'd asked me 10 years ago, it would be tied to the amount in my bank account, tied to my professional career, tied to a title um, that I may have or may have not have achieved or would have liked to have achieved within medicine, you know, becoming a consultant, specializing in a certain pathway, um, and living in a certain area. 
but now from being honest, uh, I've sort of leaned into the more spiritual side. And mm. I think success for me is finding happiness in the moments between moments. And what that means is like, let's take my last week, uh, as an example, I, I was on uh, a TV show, um, uh, that just went out on, on Sunday. I was recording there. I had a successful, uh, launch of my app earlier this year, and it was featured again by Apple. Um, we had a big shout out and a big drive for our app downloads. You know, I think it was like on Wednesday or something like that. We got like a thousand downloads in a day. Um, and I had a few other like, uh, successes, but if you just measure success by those wins, then the, the moments in between that, they sort of diminish in terms of importance. And what I'm trying to lean into a lot more is actually finding happiness, gratitude, contentment in those moments in between those, those big wins, quote unquote. And so for me, success is just finding that sort of nice, steady ground where I'm just always feeling at peace with myself rather than always having to like chase the next big thing, the next big high, the next dopamine rush. Uh, because I, I feel that's sort of like a, a race to the bottom of a downward spiral. If you can't consistently keep up those high emotions. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's success to me. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm finding that a lot more actually, you know, um, preparing before this podcast, um, exercising in the morning, my walk, you know, when I, and I first get that exposure to sunlight, like definitely that's, that's success. I, I love it. it. It just, it just makes me, you know, really, really happy. So yeah, that, that's, that's success for me, man. Love that answer, man. There's so many areas that I want to tap into with that particular answer. And one of them was, you mentioned the spiritual side of things and and the happiness between happiness, those those moments, right? What have you found to be the most challenging part about actually getting to the spiritual side of life, finding the sense of peace as well as trying to find those moments? Because do you find they come few and far between for you or do they come more frequently these days? I, I Yeah, it's a really good point. And um, I think... To answer the question really directly, uh, it, it's to be aware of my of mimetic desire. Um, so it kind of leans into this this theory that I've been learning a lot more about recently um, by Rene Girard. He was like this um, uh, French philosopher that I think uh, worked in Indiana, Bloomington for a while. I believe he was involved in Stanford. I might get that wrong. But he he came up with this theory of um, mimetic theory, which is basically it's easier to desire things when it's it's been, been first desired by someone else and you can model your desires on someone else's. So a uh, simple example uh, your friend, let's say, uh, who lives in the area, you've grown up with him, he suddenly decides to get a new car. He gets a Ferrari or something. And then all of a sudden, even though you may never have had a pinup car as a kid, you might never have been involved in uh, you know, looking up uh, the car mechanics, you might never have watched racing, suddenly it sparks something deep in you that you need to have the same car. You need to also like desire the same thing. You want to go out and buy a, a Ferrari, whatever it is. Um, that is mimetic desire in action. And I think something for me that has helped me lean into the spiritual side and maintaining contentment is to actually be aware of my mimetic desires because it can occur at a very subconscious level. 
And, you know, when you see accolades, particularly, let's say, in, in my field where I'm publishing books uh, or, you know, I, I launched my app now, the Doctor's Kitchen app or on the App Store, you have these sort of charts and, and you have these sort of accolades. Yeah, Sunday Times bestseller, New York Times bestseller, app of the day, number one on the, on you know, the on uh, top 10. You know, do you know what I mean? And so when you see other apps, you see other books, you're like, I want that. I I want to I want to win the game. I I want to you know uh, have that sort of uh, con- congratulatory moment. But actually, is that truly what makes you happy? And so, really diving deep into what literally makes you happy. What are the foundations for happiness? And being aware of that mimetic desire, which is sort of like a a cultural phenomena. Yet it's taboo to talk about because what we're essentially talking about is envy and, and jealousy. Being aware of that as as a driving force um, is something that I think helps me maintain that sort of spiritual side and and really, you know, uh, answer the question to myself, what actually makes me happy? And when you dive down into it, you know, it's it's family, it's connection, it's purpose, all those different elements that we like to talk about. Um, But being aware of that, I think, is, is a hack that a lot of people can learn from. Yeah, those desires you were mentioning, I kept thinking about, it would be nice because I'm about to release my very first book into the world next month. And I'm like, you know what? It would be nice because I'm I'm constantly looking at all my my best-selling author friends and like, it would be great to have a best-selling book. But in essence, I, I don't think that is going to make me happy long-term. It might make me happy in the short term, but to give me a sense of joy and peace and fulfillment long-term, I think it's just being present in the moment and being grateful for the fact that I've got a book coming out and it's going to even, I hope that it helps one or two people, that sort of thing. But you're right. I think you you can get into that stage of envy and jealousy with someone else that has a bigger audience than you. And you're like, what are they doing that I'm not doing? It's like, I'm working yeah. hard too, you know, it's like that constant cycle. And I think just trying to break that cycle for yourself and your own sense of peace and comfort that for me, I've found it really, really difficult at times because I, I mm. want that. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And you know what? When if you ask yourself the question, like, okay, you want that, that's fair enough. It's it's okay to want things. But yep. be be really uh conscious of why you want something. And if you can't answer the question, you can answer it rationally to yourself, like I want that because I wanna I wanna influence as many people as possible. I wanna help as many people as possible. And those are those are uh, noble sort of causes. There are noble reasons, but you gotta dive really deep. And actually, if you're being honest with yourself, and if I'm being honest with myself, the reason why I wanted a Sunday Times bestseller is because I wanted to be congratulated. I wanted to have that accolade. I wanted to have that award. Yes, I wanted all the other things, but you know, we have to be really honest with ourselves. And when you're honest with yourself, you can, you can, it's almost like seeing the matrix. You can see the mimetic desires. You can see why you're actually doing things. And I'll be honest, if you're not, if you're not clear about why you want those uh those particular awards or those those occurrences, you, you I'll just wait for that to go past. Uh, you'll um, you'll find yourself, let's say, achieving that, 
but then wanting something more or feeling a void when you do achieve that because you, you haven't really fulfilled what truly makes you happy. And then you want another award. You'll want, instead of a Sunday Times bestseller, you want to be a Sunday Times bestseller for 10 weeks in a row, like someone else. And if it's not 10 weeks, then it's going to be 100 weeks. And then maybe you want a New York Times bestseller as well. So all these different elements, they'll they'll stack on uh, upon each other and they'll make you feel paradoxically less fulfilled than if you actually just leaned into what made you happy in the first place. So let's just say for you, Rupi, that you achieve all the things that you actually set out to achieve. Then what? Exactly. Exactly. Then what? <laughs> and so this is why like, uh, I have a set of goals that I affirm every single morning. Um, you know, part of my regime is I meditate, I hydrate, I take my supplements, I, I stretch every single day and I look through the notes, uh, application on my phone, um, across these different affirmations and all these different goals that I set myself. However, what I try and practice is a, uh, detachment from those goals and detachment it's not very sort of sexy to talk about, but but detaching yourself from those goals and actually finding contentment and everything else that is free and accessible and actually you provide and you practice gratitude with, that's how you can prevent yourself from sort of that spiral of always wanting more and more and more and actually achieving enough. And this is working for me very well because it means that I can be aspirational. I can be someone who still wants to be a go-getter, someone who still wants to, you know, uh, uh, be quote unquote successful by modern society standards, whilst at the same time being super happy, whether or not I achieve that or not. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a paradox because at the same time, you want to have a successful business. You want to employ a bunch of people. You want to make millions of pounds or million of millions of dollars. But at the same time, you have this deep contentment inside yourself where you're, you're grateful for moments between the moments. You're grateful for that walk in the morning. You're grateful for that cup of water. You're always, always practicing that sort of grounding, uh, um, uh, uh, the, the sort of grounding elements that, that that keep you uh, content throughout the day. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a paradox, but I feel like if people learnt those strategies, then we'd have a lot less people feeling unfulfilled. Yeah, I think you are spot on with that. And one of the things that I'm interested in, having said all this for yourself, Rupi, when you were a kid, did you want to be this sort of person, the, the best-selling author, the podcast host, having an app, doing all these incredible things with food. Did you see yourself in, in this career path or just a dog? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Definitely not. This, this is, um, it's, it's weird. I feel like I've been pulled in lots of different directions and over the last year and a half, maybe two years, I've been a lot more intentional about where I want to go. So my, my story, I guess, when I was a kid is, you know, I was very much in that sort of competitive nature of, of getting the best grades, making sure I went to the best university, making sure that I was keeping up with my sort of family friends, you know, so-and-so went to this university, well, I'm going to go to this university, I'm going to get better and better and better. And sort of that uh, competitive element is definitely something that has put me in good stead, because it's meant that, you know, I, I went to a great university, I got a great education, et cetera, et cetera. But 
really when it comes to being truly fulfilled, was I fulfilled? Was I ever going to be fulfilled if I went down purely that medical path and I became, you know, a consultant surgeon and I specialized in a certain area of plastic uh, uh, surgery or uh, gastrointestinal surgery, whatever it might have been. I'm not too sure. I don't think so. Mm. When I started The Doctor's Kitchen, it was really out of a passion project and then opportunities sort of prevent, presented themselves to me. And I said yes to a lot of things. Yes, I'll do a book. Yes, I'll do a podcast. Yes, I'll do TV. Yes, I'll do speaking engagements. And over the last couple of years, I've been sort of allowing myself to take a bit of a break and think to myself, what do I actually want to achieve? And and that's sort of where the, the tech element came from because the the mission, I guess, is or the mission definitely wasn't this when I started. The mission was just to sort of help my local patient population eat well and learn a bit more about the evidence base behind uh, nutrition. Um, but the mission now is to help a billion people leverage the power of food to prevent illness and improve performance. And so the easiest way or the most straightforward way, I, I should say, uh, and the the way that is going to have the the greatest likelihood of success is by tech, and that's why I started this idea of creating like the Headspace for Healthy Eating, um, a platform that will educate people on how they can eat well every day and give them the means to do so. Um, and this is sort of like where my purpose is, is sort of going. And, and you know, who knows? I might be doing something completely different in the next five to ten years. I'm just gonna sort of uh, lean into to how my career uh, progresses. But that's definitely something I'm I'm a lot more intentional about uh, today. I want to get to the doctor's kitchen in just a moment, but I wanted to ask you: when you were in medical school, did mm. they teach you anything about the importance of nutrition? At all? No. <laughs> no. Well, we got um, the equivalent of like five hours or like half a day of uh, nu- nutrition training, but that was, that's it, it wasn't, pra- yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't practical nutrition. It was, uh, it was very much like, you know, um, TPN or uh, total parenteral nutrition. So that's where, you know, you have very sick patients in, in HDU or ITU. Uh, they can't swallow or they're in a, in a coma. And you give them a, um, nutrition via drips uh, or via uh, direct feeding into the uh, the GI system. Um, it wasn't the kind of stuff that we would hope <laughs> the doctors and other clinicians at all. You know, when it comes to uh, the cardio protective effects of 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 diet or how to even start uh, having a conversation about changing one's food habits. Or you know, instilling uh, other behavior change techniques when it comes to optimizing someone's um, default meal, uh, or you know, the stuff that I talk about, like on on socials and all the rest of it, is really stuff that I wish I was taught um, at med school. And that's kind of why, like, I started my nonprofit, Culinary Medicine, uh, to sort of uh, upskill the the next generation of of doctors to be able to have those um, practical conversations in clinic. That's been a bit of an upward hill struggle getting it into medical schools and that kind of stuff. And we're still sort of in limbo with that at the moment. We're trying to create this digital course and it's like, it's going up and down, but like, um, but yeah, that's definitely something that needs to change. And I think everyone has this realization, like I'm, I'm sure you're probably thinking to yourself, that's kind of crazy that we don't get 
taught this in, in med school, right? I'm thinking it's actually really wild. Like, why is that? It's like, why don't they, if it's so important and doctors like yourself, and I know Dr. Shatterji as well, and all these other incredible doctors, not just in the UK, but in the US and even in Australia, are finally starting to realize, but then all of a sudden the foundational elements in education, they're, they're grassroots. Like they're, they're not really changing that much or are they like you you've got to help me out here dr ruby like are they changing or why is there so much like backlash when it comes to incorporating the importance of diet and, and nutrition i think i think the tide is turning on that if i'm honest i think uh, a lot more people are coming around to the idea of nutrition as an important foundational tool um for preventative health at least you know the way i look at the food as medicine spectrum is preventative supportive and interventional so preventative you know the, there's no arguing against the fact that uh an improved diet or the ability to eat consistently well can reduce the risks of a whole suite of different illnesses whether it be cardiovascular disease neurodegenerative disease metabolic disease all the conditions that are you know the most expensive and the most prevalent uh, particularly in western uh, populations you also have you know the the element of supportive medicine where if you're going into surgery or you're going to be you know um incapacitated for weeks at a time and you're going to have incredible muscle loss uh, or you're elderly and and you you might have like a, a number of other ailments nutrition can certainly support you along that journey as well along uh, along with all the other therapies that we have and then there minority of cases there are um interventions where nutrition is the sort of medicine uh, uh without any other sort of um additions to that and there are some very impressive results with ketogenic diets in in treatment of refractory epilepsy uh, there are some very impressive results with IBS and low FODMAP diets as well. So, you know, the, the the way in which nutrition is being presented today, I think is very different to how it was before. And I think there's a greater acceptance of it as well, particularly as more and more doctors and clinicians in general are getting sick, you know, um, and they know what the trajectory is once you're sick and you're starting on a medication for, let's say, type 2 diabetes, then it's just a matter of time until you're on two meds and three meds. And then all of a sudden you have blood pressure issues. And then all of a sudden you're having amputation. No one wants that. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, a lot more people are exploring other avenues and nutrition really does come up um, top when it, when it comes to the, the things you can do every single day, along with all the other lifestyle factors to, um, to, to optimize and to prevent um, those issues. I, I wish I, if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I listened to people that knew more about this stuff. Like my mom was always more interested in, in the healthy food eating and taking care of oneself. Uh, and I didn't really listen to her advice. I thought that I knew best and it kind of, it, I, I took it a little bit too far, Rupi. I ended up in hospital with a severe bowel blockage, which came from the result of lack of proper nutrients and, and foods, which then led to me uh, nine days in hospital, uh, getting uh, that bowel unblocked, which then led to IBS, which then led to SIBO. And then I finally woke up in hospital and was like, hey, I've got to start changing things. And lo and behold, I learned how to cook from good old Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> and uh, I started doing a lot of research into, okay, what diets, what kind of food groups here work well with people with IBS, with SIBO, for example, not eating a ton of sugar, eating clean, all, all these aspects of it. I started to do a lot of personal research because I was just interested in it. But for someone that, like yourself, someone that, you know, does all the research, I'm curious, like, what got you interested in in the first place? Like, was there anything that you did or you brought up in a different way? Like your parents were mindful of it. What was the catalyst for you in studying more about nutrition and and proper diet? Yeah, the the catalyst for me was getting ill myself um, when I was a junior doctor. So I grew up um, in an Indian household. So you know the the typical Ayurvedic influences of yeah. Indian parents uh, were, were present throughout my childhood: turmeric milk, garam masala, all that kind of stuff. And uh, when I went to med school, I was taught how to cook by my mum. So she taught me some some basic recipes. And then basically, when I was at uni, everyone knew me as like the cook. And so I, I, uh, I, I really got into cooking there to sort of keep up this image of me being able to, you know, being the chef at university sort of thing. And, you know, I'd be cooking loads of different uh, uh, cuisines, Italian, American barbecue, all that kind of stuff. And then when I went to start work as a junior doctor three months in uh and you can imagine like late nights uh long shifts night shifts eating hospital food eating on the go high amounts of stress poor sleep um i got ill and my uh condition called atrial fibrillation was 
something that kind of came out of nowhere. There weren't any clear triggers. Um, I would flip into this irregular heart rhythm, um, coupled with a, a fast uh, beat as well. So it'd be like 200 beats per, per minute for 12 to 24 hours at a time, a couple of times a week. I remember the first time it happened, I was actually on shift. Um, I'd been working like a, a long set of um, of late shifts for that week. And uh, I was admitted to the hospital, super scary and vulnerable time um, when, when I was there. And uh, I was discharged luckily that day, but what I thought was going to be like a one-off actually, you know, would, would, would continue for at least a year and a half later. And that was sort of my start of a journey as a, as a patient. And, and that sort of experience was at the time I was super frustrated by, because you can imagine 24 year old, no pre-existing conditions, no weight problems, no, no triggers found on my bloods or, you know, I wasn't like taking drugs or alcohol or there, there were no reasons as to why I should be having this, at least according to conventional medicine. Um, but I was still having these, these episodes. And so, uh, I saw a whole bunch of different cardiologists. I was offered something called an ablation, which is a, mm. a, a, a cardiac um, procedure where you put a guide wire into the heart yeah. and you um, burn an area around the pulmonary vein. Um, but my mom, again, with her Ayurvedic influence, even though she's not uh, a doctor, said, you know, you should really be optimizing your, your diet and your lifestyle before you entertain a more aggressive procedure. Um, and that was the start for me, man. And I didn't know, as you know, from, from the lack of education at med school, I didn't know the first thing about nutrition. So I just started super basic, started chucking out my cereals in the morning. And then I would just start with like oats and then like add nuts and seeds because I heard those are fairly healthy. And then that gradually went to, okay, well, I'm going to bring in my lunch because I don't want to eat that mac and cheese that is always sold at the hospital canteen. And then I started like mixing up my workouts. So I wasn't doing intense workouts, but I would be doing like a mixture of like yoga and, and all that kind of stuff. Again, influence from my parents who also taught me how to meditate. Um, and, you know, over that period of time, whilst I thought I was going to be preparing myself for an ablation, because that's how I convinced myself to like eat healthy. I was like, well, it can't harm me and it will make mum feel a bit better. And I'm definitely going to have this ablation in the next like three to six months anyway, because like, you know, there's no reason why this is going to stop. And they, they went away. Mm. Uh, I remember I, I fastidiously like tracked when I was having episodes, you know, two, three times a week. And then all of a sudden it went like, you know, okay, once a week. Okay. That's a bit odd. And then like, you know, I remember looking at my, my diary that this, where I was tracking, I was like, it's been two months and then it was three and then four. And then, you know, I saw my cardiologist and I said, look, I haven't had an episode now for a couple of months. Do you want to just, let's just like park the ablation for now. And then I'll, I'll come back in six months. And, and they were like, you know, very happy to do that. And I still see my cardiologist now, but yeah, I haven't had an episode since. And that, that was my introduction, you know, into, in, into how, effective lifestyle can be even if there isn't a clear reason as to why this is working and that kind of you know piqued my interest and led me to do a deep dive into nutrition learn a lot more about this and also have more 
honest conversations with with patients and and see how diet and lifestyle can Im, can improve what they were suffering with whether it be arthritis or type 2 diabetes or weight or you know the things that everyone is suffering with right now and and uh yeah the, the research is is there we just haven't really been using it we've got another similar thing about ourselves man like my heart is abnormally large and it skips a beat every now and then or mm -hmm. yeah it skips every second beat i think it is and then it it, it sort of like catches itself up a little bit so mm -hmm. it, you kind of like sometimes you get a little bit out of breath like my breaths are shorter sometimes or they can be really really long and then i'm like mm. <laughs> whoops and then uh also i've had pericarditis twice oh wow with, with the heart so i'm not here to give you all my my illnesses this is well before i changed my diet which mm. funny enough i haven't had any issues or any problems since regarding my heart mm. even though there's like a lot of stress and anxiety and things like that i do practices now and i eat certain foods now that help alleviate that stress and keep me in that calm state because i know it's going to affect my heart even more mm. and affect other areas of my body so it's very interesting how food plays an important role and i'm curious like why chuck out all the all the cereals man like that's some of the stuff <laughs> right <laughs> what, what's wrong with them yeah yeah the series i was eating <laughs> i mean like um you just look at like the packet it's a good exercise i think for anyone uh when they're in the supermarkets just look at the packet and and look at the amount of sugar uh that is containing your typical cereal even like the ones that are marketed as healthy um the the kellogg's of the world the special k's and all that kind of stuff you know it, it's pretty horrific um when you have this realization that this is the kind of stuff that i grew up on you know this is the kind of stuff that i would be eating pretty happily as, as a kid and into adulthood and most people exceed even the who guidelines for added sugar consumption by breakfast and that's pretty much what i was doing you know, a glass of orange juice, a uh, bit of cereal, maybe a bit of toast, a bit of jam on the toast. You know, that that was sort of like a typical, and it's a very typical breakfast now um, mm. for a lot of people. Um, and that, yeah, that was a, a bit of a realization. I remember like, uh, I, I don't know whether I was Googling something or maybe I was speaking to someone, but they were like, yeah, maybe you should like, you know, cut out the sugar a bit. And so I was looking at sources of sugar and that's kind of what led me to the cereal box. And um, yeah, I, I, I took that out pretty much straight away. And then I added, you know, nuts and seeds, they're satiating, they're healthy, got fiber, uh, all those different um, elements that I I talk about so often now because it's very much lacking in, in people's diets, fiber in general. So yeah, that was uh that that was like an easy starting point. I think it's a good easy starting point for a lot of people uh, as well. Um, I know it's kind of fashionable to skip breakfast these days, and every now and then I do as well. Um, but you know, sometimes my experience uh of dealing with patients, it, it's probably the easiest starting point is to set your day up right um and uh and, and eating something nutritious you mentioned to me originally i think it's a good basis and a good understanding for people to sort of cut out the sugar because i think we know these days that sugar is is highly toxic to our bodies or too much of it right 
Um, and it can do a lot of damage to our to our mental health uh, as well as our physical health, making us feel uh, and our internal organs, that sort of thing. But I wanted to ask you about your your passion project that turned into this incredible business that is now taking over everything. You got an app launching. Um, the inception of that did that come off the back of you getting sick and then finding out? Okay, I've got all these. Uh, recipes these food ideas that i can share with the world was that the the inception of it well the 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 honest answer is i never intended it to be a business uh at all it was purely a passion project you know i was working in australia at the time um i i had this idea of the doctor's kitchen like back in 2012 i think it was i was training as a general practitioner um, and I just kind of kept that to myself. And then when I went to Australia, I remember telling a few people, including some senior colleagues, I said, look, I, I keep on running late in clinic. I'm constantly talking to patients about like how they can cook. Uh, no one seems to know how to make the basic of meals and no one knows anything about nutrition. And so, you know, I got this idea of creating like this YouTube channel where I, I create meals. I talk about the health benefits. I talk about the evidence base, the papers and the academic literature and, you know, people can sort of like teach a man to fish sort of thing. And I remember telling that to a bunch of people and they really convinced me to to start. And so when I started, the honest answer is now nah, it was just, you know, start on Instagram instead of running late in clinic and can just say, look, watch this video. It's of me. It's basically what I'm going to tell you right now. Um, here's a few ideas for, for recipe inspo. And when I started, you know, it just you know, is that a, the right time for social media? I guess in 2015, um, Instagram was still growing. Um, and within six months, I got approached by a publisher to do a book. And that was never the intention. I never, I, I, you know, I never had like on my vision board, a book, I, I want to be like, you know, the next Rick Stein or, uh, the next Jamie Oliver, that was never the intention. It just sort of happened that way. Uh, and then the book led to the podcast. I never wanted to do a podcast. I mean, you know, the, the publishers actually convinced me to do a podcast. Um, and then the podcast led to me percolating the idea around the app and the, and the tech and, and all that kind of stuff. Because I was having these amazing conversations with researchers and clinicians from around the world about how they're helping people and how they're using lifestyle medicine. Um, and the the bugbear for me was like, look, this is great, but we're having like hour long conversations that a lot of people aren't going to be able to put in practice unless they're really, really motivated. And so tech can really liberate sort of the, the actions. It can really sort of get, get people on that. I mean, the success of, of things like Headspace and Calm uh, and uh, Fabulous as, as, as great, you know, tech products, we can really utilize the same learnings and the same examples from those products and apply that to nutritional medicine. So we can help people leverage the power of food. And, and that's sort of where I'm at now. So now I regard it as a business. Uh, I would say if you asked me three, four years ago, it was definitely not something that I, I would consider changing my career for. And, and I guess I'm in that transition point where, you know, I've been a doctor for over a decade, you know, coming up to 15 years now. And, uh, I would never have thought that I would consider leaving my clinical career to do something in this space, but it seems that I'm on that journey and uh, I'm really excited about it. Do you ever see yourself sort of being still a practicing doctor, 
while running the business one day or just more I mean, on the business? I've, I've been a practicing doctor whilst running everything. Um, and leading that double life is, is hard, you know, like <laughs> up to this point, uh, I've, I've written three books, run a nonprofit, uh, done a whole bunch of like corporate speaking events, recorded over 200 podcasts, done YouTube, continued on social media, um, had endless, endless sort of, uh, articles and, and all that kind of stuff whilst being a, a doctor on the side. And I think something's got to give. And you can only do a few things very well. And I think if you spread yourself too thin, you you lose sort of the the edge. Uh, and whilst I'd love to be um, a practicing doctor and be able and convince myself that I can do all those things, um, it's it's tough. It's it's really tough. And uh, I've got to lean into where what actually truly makes me happy, which is a good sort of circle back to what we're talking about. And what really makes me happy is, is actually the stuff that I do within the doctor's kitchen. And in terms of like really trying to have, if I would look back at my life in the next few decades, what I want to tell myself is I taught thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, how they can better their own health rather than, you know, I treated a couple of thousand people a year. Um, and that sort of authoritarian sort of didactic relationship that you have with the doctor patient is, is not scalable. Yeah. And you know, what, once you've sort of opened Pandora's box, it's very hard to go back, man. Um, yeah. so yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Three quick final questions for you. This whole idea of diets. I think there's a lot of a lot of information out there of which one people should go to and and so forth. Are you are you a fan of one diet per se, or is just a combination of all? I have what they call like what I call sorry the freedom diet. Yeah, <laughs> combination <laughs> of everything intertwined. But I'm curious, what's your thoughts on it? Uh, no, I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to diets. You know, people want to go. Um, low carb or paleo or vegan, Mediterranean, vegetarian, like uh, for me, it doesn't really matter. I think you can grade a diet based on something called the healthy eating index, which, which essentially is, you know, mostly plants, lots of fiber, lots of variety. Um, the, the crux of everything is your ability to consistently eat well. Yeah. And if that means that, you know, uh, you're more likely to stick to a diet that has some meat in it. Great. You know, as long as you're having all the other vegetables and you've got enough fiber and all the rest of it, that's great because consistency is, is king there, I always come back to this A to Z study that was done at Stanford, uh, with professor Gardner and they found they were looking at weight as an endpoint, um, which is a pretty blunt tool, but you know, a, a good measure when it comes to academic studies. And they found that people who enjoyed the diet that they were on the most were able to achieve the positive outcomes associated with weight loss and consistently keeping that weight off. So the enjoyment of your diet is, is key. And no one really talks about that. People talk about the best diet, 
Do we don't talk about the most enjoyable diet that you can consistently eat well on? And that's where we need to focus on. It's it's about consistency rather than the 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 type of diet per se. Yeah, everyone's like, eat your veggies, but I don't maybe not like vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I personally do, but some of my family members don't. So there's yeah. that side of things. They'd much rather eat a steak than have the the broccoli or whatever it is. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I digress. I wanted to ask you this one. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? Oh, well, what do I love about myself? It's interesting you say that because in my third book, in the acknowledgements, I thank myself because this is not something I, I tend to do. I'm, I'm not very sort of, um, I don't tend to give myself that much credit. Um, and I, I think the, what I love about myself is, um, uh, the fact that I can practice gratitude and I sort of always look at things through the lens of, of gratitude, which I think is an important skill to to hone for anyone because it just makes everything so, so much happier. You know, this water that I'm drinking, the fact that I've got a coffee this morning that's been, you know, flown in big sacks from Rwanda or Ethiopia and, you know, I get to brew it. I mean, like, how amazing is that, man? It's, it's incredible. It's like th these, these little graces that we, we don't take notice of because it's, you know, we've adapted to it hedonically. It, once you lean into that, once you once you really sort of like grasp just the magnitude of how incredible that is, life is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so that's definitely something that I, I, I'm glad I'm, I'm good at. Um, and the other thing that I, I think, and this is probably something I've learned as well, is my ability to do things and motivate myself to do things consistently. Um, so I, I'm I'm pretty pretty good at starting habits because uh, I start very, very small and I, you know, I get up in the morning, I meditate, I, I exercise every single day. I uh, eat well every day. You know, people will probably listen to this and like cringe, but you know, that, that is, uh, that's something I'm really glad I'm able to do, but it's achievable for everyone. And that's what I'm trying to teach people is like, you can, you can achieve this. I wasn't like this before, particularly when I was like, you know, ill. And my threshold for getting ill is a lot lower than my peers. And that's why I was ill at age 24 yeah. when they were doing all the same things. And now they continue to do the same things into their you know late 30s and 40s. And I've got a head start on them because I got ill at an early age. So I'm sort of, again, grateful for, for that. So yeah, my, my ability to, to do things consistently and motivate myself and, um, and gratitude, man. Yeah, I can understand and I can relate to quite a few things you said there, especially the the waking up and, and exercising, the meditation, eating relatively healthy. I mean, I do have uh, a, a weakness with donuts, but, you know, yeah. I've got to yeah. have a little bit of sweetness every now and then. You've got to live a little bit, but Definitely. for the most part, it's healthy. But, um, yeah, when you said uh, the, the acknowledgements, I was like, I want to thank me, myself, and I. Yeah. <laughs> You don't know how hard it is to write a book. But anyway, uh, this is my my final question for you, man. This is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument. 
but being able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Uh, so I think um, what I'd want it to show is this long table with multi-generations around it um, with, you know, family and friends and like kids running around and like everyone smiling and eating, eating well and, and conversing and there to be just like an incredible energy and vibe around that. Um, I was lucky enough to experience this very recently. Actually, I went to a wedding and they had one long table. I remember just sat there. I was sat next to the grandma who had her great grandchildren running around and that sort of intergenerational, uh, the connection I thought was just amazing. It's a, a sort of very Mediterranean, I guess, you know, to have those, those Sunday sessions. And I think if I could be shown that we have Sunday sessions like that every week where everything's chill, everyone spends a good quality couple of hours with each other, learning from each other, conversing with each other, smiling, laughing with each other, man, that's a, that's a kick-ass life right there. Um, so yeah, hopefully they'll be showing me that, uh, a collection of all those different Sunday sessions, uh, over a hundred year span. That'd be awesome. Dr. Ruby, man, I've loved this conversation, but thank you so much for joining me and sharing your stories, your wisdom and your advice and for basically being here on, on the Storybox podcast with me. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Jay. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is lovely. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.